This is a STEAM Channel program on UCTV. Go full STEAM ahead at uctv.tv slash STEAM, where science, technology, engineering, arts, and math converge. Good morning. My name is Mr. Smith. I am the licensed marriage and family therapist at E3 Civic High. Um, what we're going to do today, we're going to go through uh, the steps that we've set in place to address social emotional learning um, and how do we support our students in, in, a, virtu in a virtual environment. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a number of slides that help us kind of identify what these aspects are. And with doing that, um, let's just get into it. So as you can see, um, in the world that we live in, this would be the majority of us at the beginning of the first day of the stay um, at home or the quarantine experience that we've had. Um, and uniquely enough, um, it's kind of held out for some of us, um, but um, some of us were still working on it. Um, so as we go through this morning, we're going to talk about um, the many different aspects that our school um, has attempted to employ in order to support um, our kids. Um, so with doing that, um, we've, uh, we've uh, identified what, uh, what social emotional learning is. Um, within this uh, process, we will identify who our actual clients are. Um, and we're going to identify um, some of the things that we need to look for um, from our scholars and or um, maybe even our colleagues um, in order to support them. Um, we're going to look at some of the requirements that we had to take in order to provide this type of support. Um, we're going to talk about our process um, that we employ now uh, with our kiddos and um, staff members. Um, we're going to talk about um, um, skill building. Um, we're going to talk about some of the things that they can do in order to um, kind of develop these skills in order to kind of manage these the, the experiences that they're having. Um, additionally, we're going to talk about um, the support, um, who are good support contacts to have within this experience. And we're going to talk about some of those resources that are available to them. Um, sometimes not even, uh, not specifically within the school, but um, outside of the school. So when we do that, we wanna make sure that we're providing the best um, appropriate care for not only the students and scholars that we have, but as far as um, maybe some of those other learning facilities or the administrative staff within the school that may need these, this help. And then at the end, um, there's a question and answer period and uh, for anyone that's uh, uh, that'd like to have additional uh, questions answered, um, there'll be an email and a number that you can call if you have any questions. Um, so the first thing that we're going to do, we're going to jump into um, just defining what is social emotional learning. So before we do that, um, we're going to look at the five components that are um, available for us when looking at some social emotional learning. So the first component is going to talk about self-awareness. And that question is um, kind of posed to us to uh, say, you know, what is social awareness or self-awareness? Um, it's the ability to accurately recognize one's emotions and thoughts and their influences on their behaviors. So it's just, how do I respond to these situations? What are my thoughts and what are my feelings? 
This would include um, accurately assessing one's strengths and limitations um, that they possess and a well-grounded sense of confidence and optimism. So we wanna be able to help them understand those aspects. The next aspect is gonna talk about um, the self-management. How does one regulate one's emotions and thoughts and behaviors? So after one has this emotional response, how do they manage it? What do they do with it? How do they express it? This is something that's super important because it's gonna help um, individuals um, identify um, how they control their impulses, um, what motivates them, and um, how can they set um, personal goals and academic goals. So that's super important. Um, the next aspect of the, um, the wheel we're gonna talk about is social awareness. Um, many different individuals come from many different diverse backgrounds, and in order to um, appropriately support someone, um, we always have to be mindful of what their world looks like before they get to us. Um, social awareness, um, it's the ability to be able to empathize um, with others um, from diverse backgrounds, um, different cultures, different social norms, different ethical norms, um, the behaviors, um, recognizing how the family reacts, how one responds within the school environment, and how they respond within their community um, for support. The next um, is going to talk about their relationship skills. Um, this is an integral part um, in um, putting all the pieces together because they're um, at this stage trying to um, develop the ability to establish and maintain healthy and rewarding relationships um, with um, diverse individuals and groups. So within a, a school setting, many different individuals um, will come in contact with people they didn't think that they would ever be involved with. Sometimes these projects that they um, are tasked to do um, have them working with other scholars just from different backgrounds. And it's a good way to kind of like start to really um, uh, take on those components of critical thinking um, about like, you know, what makes this person different? Um, how can I become a better person? Just like those things. So it's like that relationship um, building. Um, the next aspect and the last one with, within the wheel is going to talk about responsible decision making. And basically within responsible decision making, it's the ability to, um, to make constructive and respect, um, respectful choices about, a personal, about personal behavior and interactions based on the consideration of ethical standards. So we're talking about a realistic evaluation of consequences and what's the well-being of oneself and for others. So looking at um, all the components that go into um, this wheel, we talked about um, the self-awareness, the self-management, um, the social awareness, and the relationship skill along with the relationship or the responsible decision-making. So these are the components that we all have to make sure that we look at when we're, when we're trying to um, support someone. And as you can see within this wheel, um, it, it doesn't, it isn't exclusive to just with us within the classroom. Um, so when we meet with someone, it's just um, identifying how they express and um, are able to negotiate with all these components um, within the classroom, how they do it within the school, and how it translates back into their home and community. So I'm gonna go to the next slide. Um, what we're gonna do right now, we're gonna take an approach or we're gonna have someone provide some insight as to um, what's happening in um, um, one's brain and who are we helping, who are our clients and how did they get here? 
Hey, welcome back. Today, I really want to think about what's the best way to teach teachers about trauma without getting them distracted with all the technical stuff, and what's the most important thing for them to understand and learn. And I thought that the best way to do it might be to just make a difference between a learning brain versus a brain in survival mode. So we'll just call it learning brain versus survival brain. And this is the difference. So learning brain is this brain that's open to learning new information and it's completely okay with ambiguity and grays and vagueness and it sees the big picture it like pulls back and is on the balcony can look over the forest and figure out what's going on on an emotional level people in learning brain feel calm peaceful maybe a little excited about what they're about to learn maybe a little playful and having fun too and definitely curious and they're not afraid of making mistakes because it's just part of the learning process and so they're not really thinking about themselves and they actually feel a little bit of confidence that if they just apply themselves they might pick up what they're trying to learn now survival brain on the other hand is completely different it's hyper focused on threat it doesn't like ambiguity it wants clear hard facts it thinks in black and white terms it doesn't want anything to be gray at all and then emotionally, you can imagine that survival brain makes people feel panicky, feel like a little obsessive and afraid of getting things wrong. And they don't feel calm and open to learning new things. They just want to get things over with. And people in survival brain also really don't like making mistakes. And they are afraid of looking stupid too. So students in survival brain don't want to be picked on. They don't want to raise their hand and ask questions and look stupid. And so these people are also filled with doubt about their own ability to learn stuff. And they're afraid that other people can see how stupid they really are. Now, it's really important to understand how learning brain and survival brain interact. Because survival brain always trumps learning brain. And it makes sense because survival brain is just trying to save your life. And so if it thinks that there's something dangerous happening, you better pay attention to it, right? But the tricky thing is that as survival brain stays on longer and longer, it's harder to get out of that. And it's harder to really go into a learning brain. And the way I think about it is kind of like the myth of Sisyphus. You know that guy who has to push a rock up a hill and then every day it falls back down and he has to do it over and over again? Well, being in learning brain is like being up on the high parts of that mountain. You can see the expanse of what's going on, but it also takes a lot of work to be up there. And at any second, if you're not paying attention and make, putting effort into it, it's so easy to slip back into survival brain again. And that rock that Sisyphus is trying to push up, well, that's kind of like stress. And the more stressed you feel, the heavier and bigger that rock gets, and it just pushes you back into survival brain quicker. Now, the kicker is that for traumatized people, stress is a really rigid and intense thing. And so with trauma, any little stress makes that rock grow way bigger than it normally would. And because people with trauma misperceive ambiguous situations as threatening and stressful, that rock just stays big all the time. Now, the good news is that the more you control stress, well, the easier it is to be in learning brain, right? Because that rock is a lot smaller. And what I really want to highlight for teachers is that the best way to keep students in learning brain goes back to why I spent so much time talking about attachment. Students best learn when they feel like they're safe and supported by the adults around them. So it's kind of like a baby elephant. You know how like on those nature shows, the baby elephant is like playing with leaves or exploring a tree or something like that and having a lot of fun. And the only reason why they can do that 
is because there's a whole group of mama elephants around that baby, protecting it and looking out for danger. So a kid with trauma or who's stuck in survival brain, it's kind of like that baby elephant who doesn't have protective adults around them. They can't play and learn because they're way too focused looking out for threat and danger. So this is why I really believe that the most important thing that schools need to focus on, way more important than any kind of techniques or curricula, is really whether or not they are creating that environment where students feel like they're surrounded by these big mama elephants who are going to protect them and watch out for them and make them safe. And when students have that, I bet you it unlocks their curiosity, their eagerness to learn and play as a way to learn. So I hope that's helpful. Let me know if you have any questions in the comments below. So with this experience that we have um, in identifying what type of brain the student or scholar is going through, it's super important to note um, just exactly um, where they may be coming from. Some of them, you know, very diverse backgrounds as far as like that trauma, they're just in survival brain all the time. That's just, that's just how they kind of um, are negotiating and then um, providing them with the skills and tools when they do go back home, it may still um, kind of go back to the same space. So it's always being able to provide that type of support um, with them um, and being able to note exactly what it is that they're going through. So with that, we'll keep going. Um, so this next um, question, is just um, how are we uh, identifying the emotions during the experience, this experience, and how are we addressing those feelings? Well, in order to support someone, you have to meet them basically where they are. And with that, we need to identify um, how or what is their level of emotional intelligence. Um, for me, super simple one is relating to the movie Inside Out. Um, very, very uh, impactful uh, tool to use. Um, when identifying with the kids. Are they um, stuck with joy? Um, do they have a strong sense of anger? Um, do they walk around melancholy? Are they sad all the time? Um, are they afraid of everything? Um, and one of the more complex ones, um, but still listed as a primary emotions just discussed. Um, it's interesting to note that um, having um, provided the service and support that I had in the past with individuals in the juvenile justice system, um, when asking them these basic questions, um, the majority of them would actually relate specifically to either anger or joy. They didn't really have the range of the other three. They kind of knew what it was, or they gave the shoulder shrug, or they actually um, kept coming back to um, that emotion of anger. So now within this experience um, that we go, we're going to talk about how these primary emotions um, can now um, go to a space to where um, we have more complex emotions, this experience here. Um, but it's only after that development and after they can um, understand what their primary ones are in order to accurately say, okay, these are the other ones. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna watch another quick video um, in identifying how once we've been able to help them with those primary emotions to go into um, the next stage of their development, which would be those uh, complex emotions. Well it, well, it kind of goes all over the place, but there is a station in Imagination Land. I know a shortcut. Come on, this way. The station is right through here. Yeah, for you, Joy. What? 
I read about this place in the manual. We shouldn't go in there. Ming says it's the quickest way to headquarters. No, but Joy, this is abstract thought. What are you talking about? I go in here all the time. It's a shortcut, you see? D-A-N-G-E-R, shortcut. I'll prove it to you. Look at me. I'm closer to the station because I'm taking the shortcut. Let's go around. This Almost there. If you want to walk the long way, go for it. But Riley needs to be happy. I'm not missing that train. Bing Bong knows what he's doing. He's part dolphin. They're very smart. Well, I guess. Okay, what abstract concept are we trying to comprehend today? Um, loneliness. Hmm, looks like there's something in there. I'm going to turn it on for a minute and burn out the gunk. What is it? No time. So as we can see, um, the emotional experience that uh, one is going through um, definitely comes into the play of what they identified as abstract thought. And that I, uh, emotion was listed as loneliness. Um, through our experience, uh, we do get this process to where we're listening to other people. I mean, it was interesting to note the way that uh, uh, Bing Bong, um, she referenced him as being part dolphin and they're super smart and just the rational um, or irrational thoughts that we go through when we're just grasping at trying to get the answer quickly. Um, this is something that happens to us a lot when we try and look at something that's gonna be potentially helpful for us, but unfortunately, um, sometimes plays out a bit more difficult. Um, I wanna highlight one aspect of the emotional experience that we went through. Um, it identifies joy and anger. And then there's this um, emotion, this complex emotion, it's called anticipation. Um, it's interesting because if we're in between joy and anger, um, it, there is this aspect of anticipation. It, we're not really super happy about it, um, but we're doing it in order to get something we want to have happen. So there's this level of, um, yeah, I want, I like the way this feels, this um, anticipation, um, but it is a little annoying. So it is that way that we start to develop and, and um, accept some of that anticipation. Um, so the next aspect that we're talking about um, within this, uh, environment is trying to identify um, how are we providing um, this mental health support in an online environment. Um, it's simple. Um, it's telehealth. Um, I know of a number of colleagues that um, this is their primary focus of support um, within the field. So that's all that they do. They don't actually visit with anyone. Um, it actually limits um, that idea for um, or it just relieves the limit or restriction of like the time and, you know, office space and things like that. But it's still the same great work that can be provided um, with meeting face-to-face. Um, -face. Um, and in fact, you're actually doing it face-to-face, -face, but it's just through a camera. So there's positives and there's um, disadvantages, but um, to be able to transition to that type of um, environment now and that platform that we have, totally um, um, acceptable and um, helpful. Um, there are some aspects of trying to um, note how we administer this type of support. Um, and there are uh, 
two options that we noted that were available to us um, within this uh, environment, and it was either through um, Zoom or through Google Meet. Um, there is that uh, concept or just the perspective of HIPAA and what does HIPAA actually include um, or involve. It's actually the, um, the confidential um, health information and how do we exchange that information. So in meeting with someone, we would want to make sure that the environment is closed. Um, no one can actually come in. Just, you know, we've heard of individuals when they say they just kind of like, had an individual just uh, come into the meeting and they didn't know how they gained access, but um, this is one of the more restrictive um, platforms that they want to make sure that um, not just anyone could come in. It has to be by invite and then it could be um, shared only with those individuals that are in place. So there are those um, things that we had to look into to make sure that we're going to be um, supporting the, the client the best way possible. The next one is the process and how we meet with students. It's very interesting to note that, um, as you can see, we have a scholar, a student here. Um, he is probably um, one of the more impactful uh, uh, individuals that we have. Um, when I say he, I mean collectively as all students and scholars. Um, the villagers are actually the ones that help the village um, um, thrive and um, note if there's a concern or there's things that are going on. Um, this is our first line um, as far as being able to connect with individuals and um, um, additionally with the learning facilitators or the teachers. So the sharing of information from the students um, uh, proves to be significantly impactful, um, but only in the sense that um, we have an open line of communication, we can meet with them, um, they can share um, how um, potential other students are doing um, when they don't feel super comfortable, but they just kind of say, oh, based on the information, the psychoeducation that I've received with regards to some of the, you know, um, maladaptive coping that someone is expressing, um, they can accurately um, escalate it, which is extremely helpful and um, always a plus for us when we were trying to supply, provide support. Um, and how does this referral process work, you may ask? Well, basically, it's an interface that we've created, um, we've been able to use within the school um, for quite some time now. And then within that form, um, we're asking them to identify if it's an academic attendance or it's a social emotional um, support request and or if it's of a major disruption or if it's just behaviors that, that someone's just not sure. So if we skip down to the bottom portion of this uh, um, form, um, we can see that um, it's asking for the referral. What kind of referral is this? Is this mental health? Is it social emotional? Is it um, within um, the environment that I particularly would work specifically with? Or is it an academic one, which with the academic counselors or major disruption? And then we also include the other column because there may be times in which an individual is working with uh, um, a student or scholar or potentially even other colleague that they're just not sure, but they're just, they just want to make sure that um, someone's aware of how we can support each other because we all go through things. Um, the middle portion of the screen um, is talking about um, if in an emergency or a scholar has expressed feelings of hurting themselves or hurting others or someone's hurting them, um, we need to have that immediate access. This, this, this word immediate is super important. Even within this virtual world that we live in, um, learning facilitators need to know who to get in contact with and um, how this is to be done. So it's getting in touch with um, one of us directly. We have instant messaging, 
um, we typically um, will keep our phones close so they can do it that way. And this is definitely something we would not want them to do just by sending an email. If there's something that's an uh, emotionally escalating um, concern, um, potentially to reach out to um, us immediately to make sure that we're providing that safe, um, secure, and uh, helpful uh, world for um, the student and or scholar. So here are other um, vital questions that need to be asked. Um, does the student have an IEP? It's super important to know if the student has an IEP, an individual education plan, there may be certain accommodations that need to be made and within the environment of working with the students, um, these accommodations need to be met, potentially if someone's having a, uh, been triggered or there's a response or just some type of behavior that they're not sure about. Um, looking at um, all of the steps that can be taken in order to address you know, that spe specific care or that need for that scholar. Um, additionally, um, we wanna know if they're, um, what are the specific concerns? We wanna uh, get as much information as we can from the individual that's providing the referral um, to give us um, what does it look like, you know? And the next question is talking about what is the frequency of the concern? Does it happen every Monday when potentially um, a scholar can be returning from um, a parent's house? Maybe if the parents are divorced, if dad's, you know, a little bit rougher and mom's a little bit easier, and then there's like, you know, there's a lot of few dynamics or maybe mom's a little rougher and dad's a little easier. It's a lot of dynamics that are um, within the home, but we want to be sure about one, what's the specific concern and what is the frequency? And then employing or empowering um, the one that's submitting the request um, as to uh, interventions that they've tried. Um, what have they tried to move the scholar or student to a different seat? Um, have you tried like greeting them a different way when they come in? Um, the next uh, intervention potentially um, with the person providing the referral is, have they um, made an attempt to reach the guardian um, or the parents? And what were those outcomes? Sometimes those um, calls home can alleviate a lot of the um, concerns or questionable behavior that one may be expressing within the classroom. Um, we are very big on um, providing restorative circles and providing everyone with the ability to be able to have uh, an option to be able to speak or to be able to express themselves in a way to which everyone can be heard. Um, even the individual that has, um, that is going through the experience to be able to note um, what are um, the things that they're going through to be able to touch base with that learning facilitator or um, admin personnel that's doing um, the referring and or um, other referrals that we have available for uh, individuals within our school setting. Um, not only just within the school, but maybe there's um, a need for an outside support element. Um, another therapist to be able to provide support on a more like um, re regimented, like it's happening every, you know, um, Thursday at two and you go in for your 45 minutes to an hour session, which is super important for the individuals to be able to um, know that that type of support is available. And it doesn't mean that there's, you know, any type of uh, negative consequence to it. Um, and going into the next steps, um, what comes next? Um, the next steps are um, basically the reassessment. The reassessment process happens constantly throughout the um, individual's experience. So we just wanna make sure that when we're doing this type of work, we're always addressing and reassessing. 
always trying to look to see um, are there other things that are popping up. Um, sometimes when we're talking about um, individuals going through um, emotionally triggering, triggering experiences, um, they may develop a skill set and that helps them deal with it. But then having dealt with that, there's something else that comes up. So then it's just always trying to reassess. Um, in doing this um, and working with the individual within this process, we want to evaluate their strengths. Um, what uh, coping skills do they already uh, possess? Um, what are some of those weaknesses that uh, may uh, contribute to their further escalation or um, that um, survival brain just being re-triggered again? Where do they go back to that negative um, or just that weak, uh, the weakness uh, uh, that uh, not so that not so ad um, adaptive coping, that maladaptive coping? Um, well, we want to identify supports that are available. Um, we want to talk to the student and or scholar um, about how they reach out, who do they feel is a valid and uh, um, caring and loving um, adult that they can reach out to. Um, it potentially may be an aunt, it could be an uncle, it could be a grandma, um, or it could be a friend down the street. Um, we typically try and encourage them to select an individual that's older. If a student is getting one-on-one -on -one, uh, peer support, which is helpful at times, but we want to make sure the information that they're getting um, is uh, um, valid. It's evidence-based. It's, um, it's got statistical uh, data attached to it to where um, these are going to be um, tested and proven coping skills as opposed to those maladaptive ones, which some of them uh, <laughs> sometimes we'll uh, provide to each other. And then lastly, we wanna escalate if necessary. So within this process and providing the support with this um, scholar, we wanna make sure that we um, escalate when it's necessary. So if there's an individual where it's beyond our scope of competence, or beyond our scope of practice, we may wanna make sure that we escalate to those individuals that can address that. So like I'm not a certified grief and um, loss um, specialist, but um, we do have partners that um, are available in order to be able to help and provide that type of support because just not um, not giving good information and accurate information could be actually more detrimental um, in the big picture than it is to just um, let it go. So you don't want to provide bad information. Super important for us to be able to escalate and or if there's a, um, a danger um, that we expressed earlier, um, if they're harm to themselves or someone else, we want to make sure that we um, get that uh, person the care that they need. The next one, um, this is the concept of um, that I mentioned earlier about being able to reassess, always being able to reassess, because an individual having a certain personality or how they're viewed in public can definitely be um, an impactful part to their experience um, through this time. Um, and it's um, on the left, you can see two different examples of how individuals um, relate or how they interact. Um, one's a significantly uh, impacted introvert and one's a significantly impacted extrovert. So it's just trying to be able to get out and um, eating yummy food with, um, that someone else cooked. Um, yeah, I like to order pizza. So hanging with friends, it's just like that social um, experience. And some hanging with friends may be just your dog or your cat. Um, doesn't make them unhappy. It just makes them, um, that's their personality. That's their character. That's the way that they express themselves. And then lastly, when we talk about um, some of the activities that, um, other activities that one gets involved with um, 
it's uh, expressing in this uh, caption uh, that uh, going out and dancing. Um, if an individual feels super comfortable with going out um, as an extrovert, they'll probably go out and dance. Um, but if they're introvert, they'll probably make a bunch of uh, videos in the house and then they won't share it. But um, it's all healthy expression and it's always being able to identify um, that reassessment process. What are we doing to make sure that, oh, this is just how this person experiences, um, the, expresses themselves and this is um, actually quite healthy for them, but just um, within their comfort level. The next thing we want to talk about is um, are those additional tools and um, what active steps can students take to evaluate and address certain behaviors. Um, here's a guided meditation um, we want to take, but before we do that, um, we just want to um, actually while we do that, we just want to take a time to clear our minds and then to go into some of those other steps that one can take in order to evaluate and address those certain behaviors. Hi, and welcome to Headspace. So no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter how many thoughts are racing around your mind, no matter how the body's feeling, just take a moment to sit down and take a big, deep breath, breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth. As you breathe in, a sense of taking in fresh air, the lungs expanding. As you breathe out, a sense of letting go of any stress in the body, in the mind, just feeling the muscles soften and relax. And close your eyes if you'd like to, one more, breathing deeply in through the nose and out through the mouth. And just take a moment to pause, allow the thoughts to come back. So within this experience, we noticed that um, the active steps um, students can take to evaluate and address certain behaviors. Um, it's always being mindful of um, what one is going through and the frequency and um, steps one can take. So just doing this mindfulness exercise um, and then taking the steps to try and note like, okay, how am I responding in this event? In order to slow the mind down, in order to get the best um, result, one would need to be aware of just exactly where they are. So this is another um, aspect of being able to um, uh, monitor um, how one is behaving with its experience that we're all going through. Um, and one of the questions that one may ask is, what is healthy news consumption during this time? Um, it's important not to um, avoid everything at all cost. Um, and it is super important not to just sit and just, you know, consume so much, so much, because after getting too much information, one can just be overwhelmed and not know like, what is the right answer? Or do I actually go outside? Do I have an M95, N95 like mask? Is that gonna be acceptable? Or can I um, talk to a friend within six feet? Or just many different aspects, many different people or many different um, news sources will give out information. I try and do most of my work and I would encourage others to um, stick with those um, tested and um, respected or just um, 
validated um, organizations. Um, the majority of the information that we do share um, comes from um, uh, factual uh, uh, medical uh, organizations. Um, Center for Disease Control, um, we do uh, make contact with um, the World Health Organizations, um, the World Health Organization, in order to gather that information, in order to give that um, type of support. So it's just not too much, um, and uh, you know, just just a healthy amount. Um, and everyone's different, so just being mindful of like how one processes that information, but just making sure it's a reputable um, source and not to take too much and not to take too little. Um, the next aspect that we talk about when working with um, our students and scholars within the school is being able to um, uh, communicate and to share this information with the parents. And the question um, was posed, how do we continue to involve the parents? Well, our E3 parent collaborative group um, still continues to meet on Saturday. Um, we meet at um, 10 a.m. Um, we uh, employ the same process with the kids because we're doing it virtually and every parent um, that we meet with um, gets the opportunity to kind of see, excuse me, what the feeling is like to actually be in the class and be able to con communicate um, and to share their insight. Um, and it's super important um, for the families to be able to do that or just having a space to be able to kind of express how they're feeling. So. Um, with that being said, um, here are some of the topics that we go over. Um, we talk about some of the parenting styles. We talk about drug awareness and the trends. We talk about healthy social teen interaction. Um, we talk about the impacts of social media and how it's continually evolving and changing and affecting us. And as we um, were able to experience earlier um, in using um, um, that mindfulness um, uh, video, um, there's so many different... Um, um, apps that are out there. There's the Calm app that um, the one we were using was Headspace. Um, so it's just how can teens um, use these tools to support themselves. The next aspect is talking about um, when we meet with the parents, we talk about their adolescent development. And as we um, were able to note and see with the, the movie uh, Inside Out, um, how one's brain continues to develop. And it's important to know like um, what's important to them. Um, sometimes it's just a helpful reminder to touch base with the parents to, um, to help them see currently what the kids are going through. Sometimes it's just a simple statement of, uh, remember what it was like for you to be um, 16? And then they stop and then they think like, oh yeah, okay. And that is probably why he or she is saying and doing those things. So it's not out of the norm, but it's just always being able to help. And as I mentioned before, working with individuals in the juvenile justice system, I always try and bring that aspect into it because um, I always try and provide support um, and an empathetic um, perspective. But additionally, I always wanna make sure that an individual knows um, there's structure, there's limits, there's boundaries, there's important things that they need to do. Um, and with traumatic events, um, things that happen with individuals um, within their lifetime. Um, we use the ACEs um, uh, survey um, a lot, and this helps us gain insight to, as far as um, um, the parents, um, things that they've gone through and potential ways in which they um, will express themselves when helping the kids. And knowing like when they express that with the kids, we always wanna um, use the example that they use on the um, airplanes. So when you get the support, which is the oxygen mask, 
Um, you definitely want to know where they're where they are, where they're going to come from. So they pop down out of the ceiling and steps that you need to take to take care of yourself. And then um, figure four would probably be the one that um, is counterintuitive for parents. So knowing that you have to take care of yourself in steps one, two, three, before you can take care of anyone else, it is crucially important, um, super important in this situation to where when working with families and working with kids, that they know like who has to be taken care of first and not to be selfish, but just making sure that you know you take those steps in order to do the right things first um the next one question um we were asked um how can other schools be aware of how they support social emotional health of their students in an online environment environment so quick answer it is this is quintessentially just the easiest part and it's quite simple it's just be genuine be empathetic when we're doing that um, some of those um, concepts about being empathetic um, with our kids um, can mean a lot. And what we're going to do, we're going to watch a quick video again um, about being empathetic, about just perspective taking. So what is empathy and why is it? very different than sympathy. Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's, a, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that empathy is feeling with people and to me I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say I'm stuck it's dark I'm overwhelmed and then we look and we say hey I'm down I know what it's like down here and you're not alone Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a yeah and we do it all the time because you know what someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it I don't think that's a verb but I'm using it as one we're trying to put the silver lining around it so I had a miscarriage oh, at least you know you can get pregnant I think my marriage is falling apart at least you have a marriage <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection.
So as we can see, um, our experience with working with um, our students, um, it's just being genuine, um, staying out of that judgment. That's again, really difficult for us at times, um, but just being empathetic and being uh, just that person. Uh, again, not allowing anything to happen, but if I talk to someone um, from an empathetic perspective, but I still maintain certain boundaries and guidelines about, you know, this is just acceptable or this isn't acceptable. Um, these are potential consequences that we may experience through this because of making that decision, um, but just being aware of that individual to be able to help them through. So with that, um, that's definitely a way um, other school um, support members can help in that social emotional health of their students. Um, Additionally, with um, some of the support elements that we have available to um, uh, members in our community um, within the San Diego area and uh, um, just within California here, I mean, I know definitely there's 211, an amazing resource which is available to many individuals, and they can either call 211 or they can go to 211, I believe it's .org. Um, and um, within the site, they can um, get resources from a number of um, uh, organizations um, and options that are available if it has to do with food, if it has to do with clothes, if it has to do with like anything. I mean, with uh, financial support, with um, utilities, with paying their bills, um, they just type in their um, type in the, the desired area of interest and identify their um, um, area code or zip code, excuse me. Um, and they'll find individuals or organizations that are close to them in their area. Um, we've got the talk number that's available. They can text. Uh, most of the kids today um, are just big texters. And so they can just use either the 66764 talk with us text or the 741741 um, if they want to talk to a crisis counselor. Um, SAMHSA set up a, a disaster distress helpline at 1 800 5990. And then there's the access and crisis line. Um, super important for everyone to be available, to know that is um, available to them out there. And then within that call, um, they're open uh, 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week. And it's just that 724-7240, if you remember that part about it. Um, for the most cases, uh, I think that you should be okay, but just providing that number and having it available to everyone. So this is super important for people to know. Um, as far as um, one, the things that they can um, use, these resources, the support elements that are available, and basically within the context of just this presentation we were to provide to you today, um, we talked about what is social emotional learning, we talked about um, who our clients are, how do we identify these experiences that they're going through, um, we talked about their supports that are available to them, we talked about their resources, and just ways in which they um, can get the information to us. We talked about our referral process, and additionally, um, just trying to find um, the other support elements that are um, uh, connected to um, their experience, not just for the students, but um, the parents as well. Because we know once the parents are dealing with something, the kids may um, kind of reflect the same behavior. So if you do have any questions, um, highly encouraged to um, reach out to me. I can be reached at psmith at e3civichigh.com or at 619-436-1073. Once again, um, I am open for questions and comments. Um, please feel free to share with me. Um, I gratefully appreciate your time um, and definitely appreciate you um, joining us today.